the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The Exxon Radio Show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida. KOHI AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon. KHRO AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Questions no one's found before. 
driving determination The only key they had to unlock the door and welcome back everyone my name is rob mcconnell we're coming to you live and around the world from our studios in hamilton ontario canada on the talk star radio network exxon broadcast network uk high definition radio euro high definition radio star cable and Ustream. our toll-free worldwide number is 1-800-610-7035 my email address exxon at exxonradiotv.com on msn messenger Exxon Radio TV at hotmail.com and our website www.exxonradiotv.com. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is Richard Freeman, and Richard is a cryptozoologist, author, zoological journalist, and web TV presenter. He is also zoological directory of the Center for Fortean Zoology, which is also known as CFZ, the world's largest mystery animal research organization, and co-edits both the journal, Animal and Men, and several editions of the annual CFZ yearbook. Richard has written, co-written, and co-edited a number of books and has con uh, contributed widely to both Fortean and Zoological magazines as well as other newspapers and periodicals, including Fortean Times and Paranormal Magazine. Richard has also lectured across the United Kingdom at, at, at events such as Fortean Times Unconvention, the Weird Museum of Natural... Uh, I'm sorry, the Weird Weekend... Microcon and at museums such as the Natural History Museum and the Grant Museum of Natural History in London, England. An early obsession with the classic science fiction series Doctor Who with John Pertwee had sparked an interest in all things weird. In my case, Exonation was just growing up with my parents. They were as weird as you could get back then. After school, he became a zookeeper at a uh, Twycross Zoo in the West Midlands and became head keeper of reptiles, working with more than 400 exotic species from ants to elephants, but with a special interest in crocodilians. After leaving the zoo, he worked in an exotic pet shop, a reptile rescue center, and as a grave digger before joining the CFZ. Exonation when I come back from this commercial break in two minutes. More with our very special guest this hour, all the way from the uh, southwestern part of England in Devon. Richard Freeman is my special guest. His website, www.cfz.org.uk. Two minutes is all you have to wait until we come back and we speak to our special guest this hour, Richard Freeman, once again. His website is www.cfz.org.uk. Cryptozoology is the order of the hour here in the X-Zone, with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our contact information, one more time, X-Zone Nation, is 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. Email X-Zone at X-ZoneRadioTV.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at Hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. I'm the swans, what you think I've seen. 
I'm a stranger, no Sasquatch sitting on the side of his knee And he was talking to Moccasin Joe Planned a party they gon' have Out in the St. John Swans Sasquatch doing a brand new dance And he called it the Bigfoot Stone Exxon Nation, my special guest this hour is Richard Freeman. Richard's website is www.cfz.org.uk. Now, here's some of the expeditions that Richard has uh, been on. Uh, Sumatra in 2003 to search for an upright walking ape called the Orange Pendic. Once again in Sumatra in 2004 to look for the Orange Pendic. Mongolia in 2005 on the track of the Mongolian Death Worm. The Gambia in 2006 to search for a dragon-like beast known as the Ninki Ninka. Uh, Guyana in 2007 searching for giant anaconda. Now, why in the name of heaven would anybody go searching for a giant anaconda is beyond me. However, Richard Freeman is with us. Welcome to the Exxon, Richard. Super having you with us. Nice to be here, Rob. Hey, Richard. Uh, before we uh, get talking about the anaconda... What is the Mongolian death worm, and has one ever been seen? It's never been seen by a Westerner, but uh, a lot of the nomads in the Gobi have seen it. When I was over there, I must have talked to at least two dozen witnesses over a, uh, a distance of about 1,000 miles, and their, their descriptions were all the same. They grow in very great fear of it. Uh, they call it Alroy Hoi Hoi, which translates as intestine worm, because they say it looks like a, a length of intestine lying on the sand. Now, when the stories come over to the West, mm -hmm. uh, the creature is this terrifying beast, much like something you'd encounter in an episode of Dr. Hook's people really off the beaten track. And he took us up into the mountains uh, where we heard these stories about uh, an undiscovered race of pygmies who'd go naked in the bush and they'd paint their faces red. And we, we met lots and lots of witnesses to those. But the anaconda, we couldn't get to the very remote lakes because of this drought. We couldn't get along the river, unfortunately. So we do want to go back at, at some point because uh, it was supposed to be so vast that even the native hunters that saw it were terrified and fled. What was it uh, that first interested you in cryptozoology, Richard? I first got interested in strange animals, um, like I was mentioned earlier on, through watching um, Doctor, Doctor Who, the world's yeah. longest-running science fiction serial. And I watched that growing up. It started in 1963, and it's still going strong today. I watched it growing up in the 1970s with John Pertwee in the title role. And during that time, he was incarcerated on Earth by the Time Lords. He couldn't fly his toes through time and space. So all the monsters he met and fought were here on Earth, in the here and now, they were figuratively on the doorstep, if you like, mm -hmm. which makes them more frightening and compelling than putting them far away on an alien planet. And that's what fascinated me, the idea of there being weird creatures in the world today. And some of the things that the Doctor battled, like the Yeti and the Loch Ness Monster, I found out as I grew up, were, were supposedly real creatures. That's what first got me interested. And then, of course, I... Uh, I grew up, left, left school and became a zookeeper, and I've, uh, I've been interested in wild animals and strange beasts ever since. Now, Richard, how does one become a cryptozoologist? Well, there's no actual exam or qualification to be a cryptozoologist. Mm -hmm. I decided it's what I wanted to do. I went out and did it. I'm a great believer in carving your own niche, if you will, uh -huh. of making your own destiny. I can, uh, I can associate with that one 100%. 
Yeah, I, I joined a, a then sort of fledgling group called the Centre for Fortean Zoology. And I stumbled over their magazine in, in a, uh, a museum once, started writing for the magazine and then um, ended up uh, being a zoological director. And it was an organisation that started out very small, but got bigger and bigger as it attracted more people and grew. And now we send expeditions all over the world looking for all kinds of strange creatures. What creatures have you have you searched for that our listeners might be acquainted with? Oh, let, let, let me start with this one. Since you're in the United Kingdom, everyone has heard of the Loch Ness monster. Can you tell us about uh, Nessie and and has she been found? Has there been any evidence for her existence? And I guess we all want to know what Nessie is. Well, no one knows for sure, but the smart money for the Loch Ness monster mm-hmm. is a huge eel. Everybody wants it to be a prehistoric monster. Everybody wants it to be a plesiosaur. But yeah. to be quite frank, there's more chance of it being Elvis in a rubber suit than there is <laughs> of it being a plesiosaur. <laughs> the only thing that makes any real sense is that it's a, a gigantic mutant form of the common eel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know very, very little about eels. Um, it was only discovered relatively recently how they breed. They go out into, they start off in fresh water. They go out into the Sargasso Sea off the coast of Florida, mm-hmm. where they breed and die. And then the babies follow ancestral tr- scent trails back to the fresh water where their ancestors came from. But every so often you get one that doesn't sexually develop, and this is called a eunuch eel. They stay in fresh water and they get bigger and bigger, and nobody knows how old or how big they get. But one eel seen in uh, Loch Ness by some Canadian uh, tourists back in 2004 was estimated to be 25 feet long. Speaking about creatures that are 25 feet long, what is the largest anaconda that has been found to date and and why did you go out searching for an anaconda anaconda in in uh, guyana well uh the largest measured anaconda was just a shade under 28 feet long but there have been reports of much much bigger ones up to 60 feet long the thing about the anaconda is uh, it doesn't lay eggs the female retains the eggs in her body and Mm -hmm. gives birth to live young so they've severed their last link with the land so they can spend all their time in the water buoyed up by the water and, and achieve gigantic sizes uh I, I i've always wanted to go and look for the giant anaconda and i came across this uh, website it was uh, www.guidedculturaltours.com and it was this guy damon corrie the mm-hmm. chief of the uh, eagle clan arawaks and he was talking on his his site about uh, how, how some giant anacondas had been seen in this remote lake in Guyana. And I thought, this is the chap I want to talk to. This is the place I want to go. And he turned out to be a tremendous guide, very knowledgeable. Of course, we couldn't get to this remote lake because of the drought, but we found all manner of other things. We were taken to um, an ancient cave that had just been unearthed, where there was, there was a, an ancient burial of a shaman from hundreds of years ago. We were the first Westerners ever to see it. We heard stories about the water tiger, uh, the DD, the little bushmen, and it, even about uh, one poor guy who, who was forced into cannibalism when his plane crashed up a mountain. It's an incredible place, Guyana. It's, it's literally like the lost world. Searching for these different uh, species must be dangerous work, uh, Richard. How do you? Uh, what precautions do you take when you're going out 
on an expedition looking for, let's say, the um, the Mongolian death worm or, or even a giant anaconda? Well, it, it depends on where you're going. The main thing is to take your get your proper inoculations and take your tablets. The really dangerous things, apart from other human beings, which are the most dangerous animals of all, mm-hmm. um, the, the really dangerous things, the small things like uh, mosquitoes, tetraflies, and so on. So you have to really make sure you've got all your medication uh, up to date. I have been uh, attacked by a spitting cobra in Africa. And when I was looking for the Almasti in the Caucasus Mountains of Russia, uh, I fell down an ice crevasse, uh, almost fell off a cliff and was oh left hanging onto some roots like Indiana Jones and almost swept away by a, uh, 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 some rapids. So it can get dangerous in certain places. But then again, I feel more comfortable walking through the jungle than I, I do walking through a city centre uh, uh, Saturday night when the pubs close. I, oh, I can fully uh, appreciate that uh, because, you know, just looking at what happened this past weekend in Toronto with, uh, while the G20 was here, uh, I think anybody, any place would have been a, uh, you know, a safer place to be than downtown Toronto. Exo Nation, our very special guest this hour is Richard Freeman. He's a cryptozoologist. Cryptozoology is the order of this hour. Now, if you'd like to uh, contact uh, Richard, his website is www cfz.org.uk and Richard is the author of Dragons More Than a Myth published by CFZ Press in 2005 in 2006 Explore Dragons and uh, let me see his newest book The Great Yokai Encyclopedia an A to Z of Japanese Monsters we're going to be talking about monsters, myths and cryptoids on the other side of this uh, commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. That's 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Um, before we go to the commercial break, um, one quick question for you. Bigfoot. Does Bigfoot exist? Probably. I've worked with all the great apes, and I know what they're like. I know what their presence is like. When you're in the presence of a gorilla, for instance, it's got a certain feel. Mm-hmm. The thing in the Patterson film does not have the presence of a man in a monkey suit. It has the presence of, a, of an ape, a great ape. Well, the, one quick question here. How come with all the technology that is available to everyone today, including the many Bigfoot researchers, who, by the way, Exxon Nation, whether it's in, in, in Bigfoot research or ghost research or the quest uh, for finding the smoking gun when it comes to ufology, the amateur researchers fund everything themselves. Yep. So, you know, it's not all, you know, it's truly a love. It's a passion. Mind you, there are those out there who deserve to be locked up in a loony bin for the things they do when they're out there. But there are legitimate researchers and investigators who have full-time jobs doing other things, but their love and their passion for whether it's researching or investigating Bigfoot or ghost hunting or, like I said, UFOs is what drives them. 
Richard, when you and I come back from this commercial break, let's talk a little bit more about Bigfoot and then talk about some other cryptids that you think might really exist. Once again, Exxon Nation, Richard Freeman is our special guest. His website is www.cfz.org.uk. That's www.cfz.org.uk. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Once again, our contact information, email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. Our toll-free worldwide number, 1-800-610-7035. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Don't go away. We'll be back on the other side of this break, right after the news. Greetings, this is Stephen McKinnon from Canada East Films in New Brunswick, Canada, the producer of Paragators at www.paragators.org. And you're in the X Zone with Rob McConnell. Nation, Richard Freeman is our special guest. He is a cryptozoologist, author, zoological journalist, and web TV presenter. He is also the zoological director for the Center for Fortean Zoology, and the website is www.cfz.org.uk. Richard, um, what cryptids do you think are most likely to exist? Well, the one I have to put at the top of the list is number one is the thylacine, also known as the Tasmanian wolf or Tasmanian tiger. It's a uh, carnivorous marsupial that looks rather like a wolf or a dog, but it has tiger-like stripes along its hindquarters and a, a long, stiff tail. Now, this used to live in New Guinea, Australia, and uh, Tasmania, and it was thought to have been wiped out by diseases brought over by the dingo, the uh, the placental dog when that was brought into Australia by the Aborigines. Uh, the thylacine was a much more powerful animal, but uh, the, the diseases the dingo brought was, was thought to have killed it. Then it survived in only in Tasmania, or, or so people thought, up until uh, the time of the white settlers, and when they came over uh, with their sheep, and the, you know, started, sorry, the thylacine started to prey on the sheep, the, uh, the 
white settlers started to hunt it, and it was supposed to have been wiped out in the 1930s. The last one, uh, a female misnamed Benjamin, dying in Hobart Zoo in 1936. But it's also been called the healthiest extinct animal you'll have, ever see because it's been seen over 4,000 times since then, including uh, witnesses like uh, Charlie Beasley, who was a park ranger, and Hans Narding, who was a zoologist. It's even been filmed several times, although no one's actually caught a specimen. And it's thought now that it survives not only in Tasmania, but also in mainland Australia and in the mountains of Irianjaya in New Guinea. So that has to be number one. You know, uh, before we went to the commercial break, I, I started talking about uh, the Bigfoot film, and then I got sidetracked talking about the researchers who pay for everything out of their own pockets, and God bless them, you know, hats off to them. However, my question was going to be, with all the technology that is out there, you've got all the researchers who have webcams on their phones, many of them go into the, into the wilds with camcorders with night vision capability, infrared... Uh, how come nobody has yet brought back any, any, any evidence of the existence of Bigfoot, even in the area where Patterson and Gimlin uh, took that, took that very famous um, video footage of, or that 16 millimeter film uh, footage of Bigfoot? I think there's two reasons for that. Reason number one is the animals are rare and elusive. I think they have a genuine fear of humanity mm-hmm. and try and stay out of the way as much as they can, and there's not very many of them. The second reason, which I think is, is the more important reason, is that people don't do this for long enough periods. You've got to, like you say, you've got to realise that people are paying for this out of their own pockets, and mm-hmm. there's a limit to what they can do. There's um, financial limits. They've probably got day jobs as well, most of these people. What you really need is people out in the field for month after month after month after month. That's the way you do it. I mean, when people went off to uh, try and film the snow leopard, I think it was for um, the David Attenborough series, The Life of Mammals, if I remember right, they were trying to get film of a snow leopard. They were in the Himalayan mountains for three years before they filmed a snow leopard, and that's a known animal. Is it possible, and this is a, this is a concern I have, when it comes to Bigfoot research and uh, those looking for Bigfoot, if Bigfoot was to positively be found, let's say by a, a group of credible scientists or researchers or, or, or cryptozoologists like yourself, and you actually capture it on film, or if there was a, a, a carcass or a cadaver of a Bigfoot found, and it would be brought out, and, you know, there's the proof. Do you think there would be any danger of people then realizing that its very existence could, in fact, make them rich, and therefore they would go out and try and kill a Sasquatch or, or another cryptid that, that would be discovered? Are we looking at, by discovery, the commencement of the species' extinction? Hopefully not. Hopefully not, uh, certainly in the U.S. and Canada, because I think if it was proved, um, a preservation order would be slapped on it straight Mm -hmm. away, and there would be, I would hope, very, very steep penalties for um, killing or harassing one of them. I think uh, the people with the most to lose are the logging companies, if it it was proved to to exist. The logging companies? Huge areas would need to be set set aside for it to live in. I see. 
Why are most scientists skeptical about cryptids? Well, thankfully, it's beginning to change now. But uh, uh, the reason why why that is is to do with the way science uh, is studied these days. Back in the Victorian times, there's a great ethos of going out, exploring, discovering things. Mm-hmm. You know, you would strap on your backpack and off you'd go into the jungle for X amount of years. Nowadays, there are too many armchair scientists that never get anywhere apart from their lecture halls and their comfy chairs uh, and, and their laboratories. Now, the great, the great zoological discoveries are still out there to be made, but they're going to be in the rainforests, in the mountains, in the deserts, in the seas. They're not going to be found in lecture halls. Uh, people are, are, are too worried about what their peers think of them. And also, you've got to remember the funding for science is, is very small as well. So, you know, if you're approaching someone for funding, mm-hmm. uh, you, you would want to be doing something that was looked on uh, as not eccentric or not bizarre. If you're going looking for cryptids, which are often labelled monsters, um, potential funds would, would probably not be uh, forthcoming. So... It's the way in which we're over-reliant on, on funding and we worry too much about what our peers think about, about us. Um, I couldn't give a monkeys about what my peers think about me. I do what I want to do. That's the only way but, to do it. If you're that, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're that dedicated mm. and, you it, know, like as you is, are. It is beginning to change now. It is beginning to change. There are more scientists becoming open to it, particularly with the discovery of the little Homo floresensis in mm-hmm. Indonesia a few years ago, a, a species of hominid uh, which existed up until about 12,000 years ago, may still exist in some remote areas. We, we have the bones of that now. We know it existed. So... The idea of other creatures similar to it, uh, possibly the Orang Pendek of Sumatra, which I've been searching for on, on three separate occasions, um, the idea of that becomes all the more palatable to mainstream science. How does one go about setting up for an expedition? It depends on where you want to go. There's, I, mean, I, I once wrote a whole article on this, on, on how to set up a cryptozoological expedition. You've got to uh, cut your cloth to what you can afford. You, you know, the average person can't afford to take a, a massive expedition into the Congo to look for Michele and Bembe, for instance. It costs too much. You, you've got to see how much money you've got, what you can afford. Then you've got to look at the likelihood of the creature existing and your chances of finding evidence of it. Then, and this is the most important thing, you've got to get good guides. That is the key. You've got to get people on the ground in the country that know something, that can take you to eyewitnesses, take you to the area the creature's been seen in. And that's really the key to the whole kit and caboodle. How long does it take to usually set up an expedition? Uh, It can take up to six months of planning ahead. But usually most of the, most of the, the heavy planning um, is much nearer the time in, in the, the three months up to it. And once again, it depends very much on where you're going and for how long for. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you go to different countries, uh, are, are the governments who issue the special permits that are required, are they receptive to uh, scientists and cryptozoologists uh, going into their, their forests or their jungles looking for... Uh, let's say, the giant anaconda? We've never met any trouble so far. Uh, when we were in Russia, 
uh, in a place called Carvedino, Bulgaria. There was uh, some civil unrest there and they wouldn't let camera crews in. We, we were going to go with a, an official camera crew. So in the end, it, uh, we just went ourselves with our little handheld cameras. That's the only kind of crawl we had, and that really didn't mar the expedition at all. In fact, it probably made it uh, a lot more mobile. Hmm. Where are the strangest places that you've been on this planet? Oh, there's lots of them. Uh, Mongolia uh, is very weird indeed. It's incredibly beautiful and strange. Uh, the Gobi Desert, uh, some of it is sand. You imagine it ought to be sand, but uh, other places look like the surface of Mars or rocky and red. Mm. Uh, other parts of it look like a mirror because the, the substrate on the floor is so shiny. Uh, other parts of it look like Mordor from Lord of the Rings, all black and twisted. And there's things like frozen rivers that never never ever defrost because at the bottom of caverns and then the wind sculpted them into strange caves and then out in the desert you'll come across a ruined temple it's like so unearthly and bizarre uh, also Carbadino Bulgaria in the Caucasus Mountains in Russia when we were looking for the Almasty very strange place you get these wild mountains then you come to a village but because it was once part of the, the Soviet bloc you have enormous great grey um, blocks of flats mm. in a little village, and some of them weren't even some of them aren't inhabited because they weren't finished. But when the Soviet Union collapsed, so you you've got this little village full of great big tower blocks and cows walking in and out of it, and then like uh, the, you know just a few miles from there, you get sightings of the Almasty. In fact, one one of my strangest adventures was um, near the town of Neutrino in Carbadino, Bulgaria, Russia. We went to stake out an old abandoned farmhouse. It had been abandoned since the early 1970s. And this creature, the Almasty, which is a, a, a hominid, um, much more manlike than either the Yeti or the Sasquatch, uh, possibly a descendant of Homo erectus. But it had been seen a number of times in this area, particularly around this old farmhouse. And there's one story about some shepherds being on the veranda one night, when the door at the end of the veranda opened, one of these creatures stepped in, about seven feet tall, this great heck of a creature, picked up one of the men, moved him to one side, carried along along the veranda and jumped off and disappeared into the night. So we were staking the place out, we'd set up some camera traps, and uh, we were sitting there in the darkness, and it comes to about 2.30 in the morning, so we thought we'd go in and warm ourselves around a little stove. So we went into one of the rooms, and, and the building itself was like, uh, three rooms, and then an L-shaped veranda running around. And there was a big wooden door about seven feet tall, which was about four inches ajar. And it was a very clear night, and there was moonlight and starlight streaming in through uh, uh, this gap in the door. And we were warming ourselves around this little stove, and then suddenly we hear this deep, guttural vocalization, sort of, I, I can't do it phonetically, I can't get my voice low enough. And I said to my colleague, Adam Davis, do you hear that? And he said, yeah. And then about 25 seconds later, something moved along the veranda, and it was something up on two legs. It passed by the door, and it blocked out the starlight and the moonlight for a height of seven feet. And I said, there's something out on the veranda. We grabbed our cameras, rushed out, whatever it was, it had gone, because all we were always found was darkness and silence. But something big on two legs wow. walked past that door. Has there ever been another time when you've seen um, a cryptid beside the example you just gave us now? 
Well, the last expedition to Sumatra in search of the Orang Pendek, mm -hmm. that, uh, its name means short man in uh, Indonesian. It's an upright walking ape, uh, but much smaller than a Yeti or a Sasquatch. It's only about five feet tall, but very powerfully built, covered in dark fur. It lives on the Indonesian island of Sumatra. I've been three times and I've heard its cry. It's just, this um, strange repeated cross of <laughs> I've heard that a number of times and I've seen its tracks. The last time we were there, we split up into two groups and my colleague Dave Archer and uh, the Indonesian guide Sahar Didmas, mm -hmm. uh, they were in one team with Adam Davis, who's a very good tracker. Um, Adam heard some animal up ahead in the forest and Sahar and uh, Dave moved forward very quietly and peering through the trees they saw at about a distance of 100 feet an orang pendex squatted in a tree oh my gosh and it, it was hanging on to the tree it's about the size of an adult chimpanzee covered in in black hair and uh, dave tried to take a photograph but there's lots of branches in the way so he moved to another area to try and get a clear shot of it and when he started to move Sahar says the thing came down from the tree and walked off on its hind legs and I found some fresh tracks of this creature and I used to be a zookeeper I, I know the tracks of gorillas orangutans chimps gibbons this was different to them all it had a much more human-like heel it had a well-separated big toe but not as prehensile as other apes and the, the front of the foot was much wider than, than a human being Richard, Rich, I hate to do this. You and I have to take our final break. Uh, exhalation. Right. Richard Freeman is our special guest. What a great guy. He's a cryptozoologist, author, zoological journalist, and web TV presenter. He is a he is also a zoological director for the Center for Fortean Zoology, www.cfz.org.uk. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Back in about four minutes. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity of thanking all our guests tonight. And uh, my special guest this hour is Richard Freeman. And uh, his website is www.cfz.org.uk. 
And uh, first of all, Richard, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great hour. We'd love to have you back on in the future because this hour has gone by way too fast. It has, hasn't it? Very quickly. So I hope you'll accept an invitation to come back in the future. Oh, sure. I'd love to, yeah. Um, here, here we are the year 2010. We've got a, a major catastrophe happening in in the Gulf of Mexico. We've, you know, we've got so much unexplored area beneath the seas. And in fact, I, I, how do you, how do you think as a cryptozoologist and, and, and as a person that is very attuned to nature, what do you think of the, the oil spill that's in the Gulf of Mexico? And, and how do you think it may affect some cryptids that are going to be affected by it? The whole thing sickens and appalls me as does our, idiotic over-reliance on a, a, a petrochemical slime, which we'll be mm-hmm. looking into other forms of, uh, of energy and transport now, because oil's going to run out anyway. And how many times have we seen this happen? How many, how many times have we seen massive oil spills and uh, wildlife mm-hmm. and habitats destroyed? Uh, and and the guy, I can't remember his name now, the, the guy who's representing BP. I'd like to see him strung up because he's a nasty, avaricious little slime bag. Um, the whole so, thing makes me want to puke. So, so tell me, what do you really think about it? <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me want to vomit. You, you know really what? I, I, it, it, Equally, I don't like Obama either. He was ready to sign me. He came on like an angel, didn't he? Like a saint during the election. Now yeah. showing his true colours. He was going to sign... Uh, Assign the uh, the treaty to allow uh, commercial whaling to go ahead, but he was outvoted. So uh, I think people in power don't give a damn about anything except money. But you know what? Thank God there are people like you in this world who do give a, who do care for the unseen, uh, the less protected species of this planet. And um, you know, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. We'll have you back on because I I still wanted to talk to you about the um so many of the other cryptids as well as i wanted to know much more about the uh, cfz and the cfz press so so richard thank you very much for joining us for rearranging your schedule to make to make it possible tonight quickly give our give our listeners some information on how they can find out more about you and the cfz yeah uh, our website is www.cfz.org.uk uh, my latest book, The Great Yokai Encyclopedia, An A to Z of Japanese Monsters, is available from the website. Just click onto one of the sub-pages and you'll be able to get it. And it's available on Amazon too. And uh, Japanese folklore is just so insane and bizarre, and their monsters are just so freaky, you won't believe it. Well, there we go, the topic for the, ne- on that. <laughs> the There's the topic for the next time you visit us here on the Exxon. Richard, thank you very yeah. much for joining us all the way from Devon thank in you, the Rob. United Kingdom. Exxon Nation, that's it for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care of each other, love each other, help each other. And of course, just always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. From everyone here in the X-Zone to all the members of the X-Zone Nation worldwide, good night and take care. Closing time.